Have you been scared off from buying a house because rates have been frighteningly high? The Sharp Mortgage Team in Winston-Salem can help make it feel far less spooky. There are many programs available now that can keep your mortgage payment from making you want to scream. You will dread it if you don't call for more information today because Halloween is right around the corner. With the Sharp Mortgage Team, there are no tricks, and they will treat you and the zombies you love like family. This is the Triad Podcast Network. I'm Algernon Cash, and you're locked in. I have uh, been so excited about this conversation. Um, you know, at the national level, even at the state level, we continue to hear the word unprecedented times. Um, we are going through some unprecedented times in American politics. So I wanted to invite my good friend and historian and president of the John William Pope Foundation, John Hood is locking in with us today to try to break down a lot of what we see at the national level and also here statewide in North Carolina. John, how you doing? Thank you for locking in with me. I'm doing fine. I hope you're doing all right. Doing great, man. I'm doing great. I, you know, I, I want to start off just sort of with that introduction, and I want to focus in on that that word unprecedented. Um, you know, you you're a historian. You're one of the smartest people I know when it comes to um, not only knowing the history of this country, but knowing a lot about the history of American politics. Let's begin there. Is this really unprecedented times that we're going through in American politics? I think it is unprecedented in a number of important ways. I think the the way it's not unprecedented is that our politics is often bitter. Uh, I don't like that, but I'm not sure I would describe that as unprecedented. We've had other periods in American history when the two major political coalitions say in 1800, the Federalists and the Jeffersonian Republicans were at each other's throats, strong language, very hard fought, very tight election between the incumbent John Adams and the challenger Thomas Jefferson, big issues in play, took a long time for the two men to kind of had a reapprochement because they had such a falling out at that time. That was bitter. So we've had other periods. Obviously, we had an actual civil war, which is sort of the definition of bitter politics. But I think the difference is that the bitterness that we see today is shared by a much broader swath of people Hmm. than perhaps in the past. It isn't just the politicians and the political actors themselves are angry at each other or see each other as villains, not just as mistaken adversaries, but that this is a broader feeling. You can really look at the polling and see that as recently as the early 90s, when Democrats and Republicans certainly fought over the presidency, uh, 1992 election was complex. Some said at the time unprecedented because we had Tom, had uh, Ross Perot as the third party uh, candidate get 19 percent of the vote. It was kind of a big deal. And Bill Clinton was elected president with only, I think, 43 percent of the vote. So we thought that was a big deal. And it was a big deal. But in the early 90s, if you look at the polling, most Democrats did not hate Republicans, did not think Republicans were out to destroy the country. Mm. Most Republicans did not hate Democrats as a whole and think they were out to destroy the country. Uh, You can even look at how they viewed particular issues and see a lot of overlap on particular issues or on how they describe themselves as conservative or moderate or liberal or whatever. 
Today, that polling suggests much higher levels of what we might call effective, with an A, polarization. In other words, it's not that you and I disagree on abortion or you and I disagree on taxes or something like that, but the reason why I'm on the other team is because I hate you, Mm. not because of what I feel or the the virtues of the leader of my team, but because I hate the leader of the other team or I hate the the followers of the other team. Mm. That is, in my view, uh, I don't know if it's completely unprecedented. It is certainly unprecedented in our lifetimes, quite literally. It's never happened that way before. And I think the reason why it might arguably unprecedented in general is because some of the reason for that is the advent of a technology that obviously didn't exist before, which is the Internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, People simply did not consume their news and information and their opinions about politics in the past the way we do today. You could have strong opinions in the 1930s when America really did face severe challenges, much more serious than today's, in my view. Uh, You have very real disagreements. But think about how people got their information in the 30s. Radio is relatively new. And it wasn't particularly partisan. There were only a few stations. Most, where most people lived, there was only one or two stations or three stations they could pick up. And so you couldn't just go and live in a little media cocoon where everything you listened to told you exactly what you wanted to hear. You were confronted with alternative points of view. When you read the newspaper, it was a local newspaper. It had national and international news bundled in it, but it was primarily what happened yesterday? What happened down the street? What's going to happen in school next week? When's the parade on Sunday? Where can I get the best deal on pork chops? You know, (laughs) it's very local. It it was consumed locally. So people who read the Columbus Dispatch in Ohio or the Miami Herald or the Charlotte Observer or the Greensboro News and Record, they may have had different opinions, but what they had in common is they all lived in Greensboro and they all read the News and Record together. And they had a lot of shared knowledge about what was happening in their community because they had a common point of reference. And when they went to the editorial page of the News and Record, which some did, but not a lot, they saw left-wing views and right-wing views and other kinds of views. And it was sort of a mixture and they got exposed to different things. And the level of polarization just wasn't there the way it is in a world in which people narrow cast. They only listen to things that make them feel like they're brilliant and never mm. challenge their preconceived notions. And they hear only the most ridiculous versions of the other person's argument because they never actually hear the other person. They just hear their own team members refraction of the other person of the other side's views. So I think that that's what makes today's political moment different. And by the way, what makes it not peculiar, peculiarly, I don't can't say that, <laughs> does not make it particularly an American problem because this is happening in Italy. Mm. It's happening in South America. It's happening in the Philippines. It's happening in India. It's happening in lots of places to varying degrees, which tells us that there must be something that isn't just about the individuals involved in America, though they're obviously part of it. There must be something broader happening. And in my view, this is primarily how our information has changed. Some people argue the reason that it's happening all around the world is because, uh, you know, human life is getting horrible. Uh, I think that's silly. Some people argue the reason why we have the rise of sort of left-wing progressivism and right-wing populism in lots of different places competing for power and getting increasingly illiberal in a kind of institutional sense is because people are hopeless and the economy's horrible and people's lives are, are misery from beginning to end. 
And I just don't, I mean, there are people, of course, people have miserable yeah. lives, but we've always had that. I, that we had much more misery in the 1930s or the 1950s or the 1970s than yeah. we have today. So I don't really think it's an economic question. I think it has to do with how we communicate information, how we interact with each other on, on online. It's just very different from how you interact with somebody on the street corner. It's but just human nature. You you make really good points. And and, and as I was listening to you um, even early on in your commentary, I, I was thinking about the Internet, thinking about social media and just the role that it now plays in, in just the, uh, the conversation that we have nationally as as a as a country and a nation. Now, the Internet and this digital revolution is what allows me to do this show. It's Absolutely. what allows me to bring this conversation to my audience. You know, how much do do we need? The, the folks like myself who host these kind of online shows, how incumbent is it upon us to also recognize the public trust that we have um, and, and make sure that filters into the content that we're providing? I think you have a responsibility to do exactly what you just said. It is not necessary for every single person who does a show like Locked In to have every single episode that you bring on somebody with whom you disagree and have a conversation. I think that's a good kind of program, but it's not necessary. In fact, imagine you were just monologuing, Algernon, which I know you would never do, but imagine you were monologuing and you wanted to express your concern about the Biden administration's student loan policy or what's happening in Ukraine or what's happening at High Point or you know whatever it is. Uh, if you are creating a straw man version of the other per, of the other side's argument and then you're picking it apart and making fun of them instead of taking seriously what they really believe which is called steel manning which is a yeah. word i really like don't set up straw mans set up steel men you know really difficult challenges to your point of view now you can respond to it you can explain how you think this is a serious objection but i have an answer to it or something but i think part of the problem is just a a, a willful, it's a willful refusal to take other people seriously. Hmm. If they disagree with you, they just must be stupid, ignorant, which is different. You know, they must have no intelligence or they must lack information or they must be evil. Yeah. <laughs> and those are not the only options. In fact, that's not usually why we disagree with each other is because one of us is angelic and the other is demonic. That is not usually it. Yeah, it, it almost feels like, um, you know, when I especially when I scroll through my Facebook timeline or Twitter or X or whatever name they have this particular week, um, it, it, you know, it almost feels like people have arguments or they have issues that they that they're arguing. But I question if they really believe in them, like if they're really, truly convicted by them. And I'm going to give a shout out to the to the EA Morris program that that that's actually how I had a chance to meet you probably 10 years ago now. Right. But, you know, as we went through that program, one of the things that I learned was that, okay, you can, you can have your own ideas, your own theories, your own thoughts about different issues, but also have some conviction in the sense that you can actually explain it. You can actually um, communicate through it. You, you still have to have some kind of empathy for the other person who's also trying to make an argument. And it just feels like right now, everything I just said, that that's all out the window. And and again, to your point, if, if we disagree, then you just must be stupid. And, you know, everybody moves on. So yeah. it, it's not it's, it's almost like we're not even really having a constructive conversation or debate about these really important issues. 
I'm afraid that so much of it is performative. Just like so much of social media content, whether it is TikTok videos or comments on Facebook or debates on Twitter, I, I'm not going to call it X. I, I, what am I supposed to say? I X'd something yesterday. <laughs> I could say I tweeted something. I mean, he just, Elon Musk has, has some obvious positive attributes, but this was a pretty stupid decision on his part. And anyway, uh, it, you know, on so much of that, even if it's not about politics, so much of it is performative. Like, look at what, look at the dinner I had last night. It can be a wonderful thing. I enjoy, I mean, you post sometimes things that you yeah. mean, I enjoy, you know, and I know that you like food and you've been in the food business and I enjoy that. But you, you, you know, but there's some people who just like to show off that they went to some fancy restaurant or they like to show off some new outfit that they have, or they like to show off that their kids did something. And we all do that to some extent. We love sharing pictures of our kids with our friends and all that. But then when it becomes performative, the implication is I have a great life. Mm. You don't. <laughs> you should envy me. You know, that's awful. And look at what happens with the TikTok videos and look how that has affected young, really rewired young people's heads. They, they get to this. It's very easy because you can use video tools and manipulations and uh, obviously eliminate b bad looking things and make yourself look artificially good and all that. Besides our AI that changes reality. Yeah. <laughs> people have the completely unrealistic perceptions. Teenagers, boys and girls have a completely unrealistic perception of what they're supposed to look like. And they get really down in the dumps when they don't look like what they see online. Well, how that how they talk online, how they act online. Uh, and that, that has contributed to suicide ideation and more generally to depression among young people. Uh, the reason why this is relevant to your original question and to the political problem we have is that it is all of a same kind. They're different, it's different subjects. Some people feel like they'll never make it economically. Some people think they'll never make it romantically. Some people think that their side will never make it politically. And all of these things tend to be distortions of reality at best, but they can make people feel hopeless, uh, mm. make pe people feel despair, make people feel angry and envious. And human beings do not, it, it is not our best self when we're, anger, when we're angry and envious. That's mm. when horrible things happen. And that's where, unfortunately, we are. We ought not to be arguing about who should we envy. We should be arguing who should we admire, mm. which is a very different emotion to say that person had a successful business and I haven't quite reached that level of success. You could be, well, that, that he must have cheated. It's unfair. He had some advantages I didn't have, which, of course, could be true, but it's unfair or somebody's out to get me. Or those are all envious feelings. Or it could be, I wonder how he did that. I wonder what he did that I failed to do, or I wonder what luck he had that I didn't have, but maybe next time I'll have it. So I'll try again. Mm. That's an admiration feeling, which in politics we ought to see more of instead of those people are out to destroy our way of life and we need to stop those other people, which may be, again, there may be an argument for that. But if that's entirely what your political message is, that each side thinks that the next election is their last chance to avoid destruction. And that's dangerous because, of course, by definition, somebody has to lose every election. Exactly. And we have to get people used to the idea that losing an election is unfortunate and you wish you'd won it. 
but it's not the end of the world and another election will come. It's time to get serious about your financial future. It's never too early, but it could be too late to get started. And that's oftentimes the hardest part, getting started. How much do I save? Where do I invest? Do I save for college or retirement? How much for each? And who do I talk to about it all? Okay, we'll keep things simple for now and help you answer the last one. We recommend you begin with a local financial advisor. And that's Jennifer Johnson of Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. She'll sit down with you for a complimentary introductory consultation and go over all of your questions. Get started on the path to achieving your financial goals. Visit 3magnoliasfinancialadvisors.com or call 336-701-1600. Get comfortable with your financial future. 3 Magnolias Financial Advisors. Retirement, financial planning, and investments. Securities offered through Satara Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through 3 Magnolias Financial Advisors. 3 Magnolias Financial Advisors and Satara Advisor Networks are not affiliated. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity. And it just speaks to the will of the people. Um, you know, the will of the people and the interests of the people change and evolve over time. And, and that is what happens. And I... I agree with you. There's been a real shift to a negative undertone here in this country, um, led by by many of our own political leaders. Um, it, it's almost like we we don't have the American dream any longer. It, it's the you know they're selling the American nightmare, yes. um, and you know everything is dark, and you know we're going down the tubes, and you know it's just so weird how how the rhetoric, especially at a national level, has shifted here. And I, I want to shift my attention to former President Trump. Um, we talked about unprecedented times here in the country. One thing that is definitely unprecedented is to have a former president be indicted um, on 91 different federal and state charges. I don't I've, I've lost lost track of what all the actual charges are. Um, but what's even more what, what, what's even, what, what's even more unprecedented to me is the way that that Republicans are not really calling this out. They're not really saying anything. They're actually going along with this. And, you know, I've gotten a little older, John, you know, since when you first met me, but but I've gotten younger, just to be clear. I'm old enough to remember, though, when when Republicans were the, you know, we were the law and order party, you know, that's that's what we would run on. What has shifted in this party that that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the kind of behavior that former President Trump has demonstrated and continues to demonstrate is is actually acceptable now. Yeah, I mean, I, I make I used this term earlier: affective polarization. The idea that the polarization driven more about who you're against than who you're for, what you're against than what you're for. I think that explains the Trump or the reaction to the Trump phenomenon partly. In other words, many of the people who vociferously defend Trump from these charges some of which are questionable or stretches, some of which are, are, are debatable, some of which, like the mishandling of the classified documents, is pretty close to an open and shut case. I mean, he's more or less admitted the crime. <laughs> uh, so some of the defense of that is sort of its defensiveness. They know it's wrong. They know what he did was wrong. They may even say something like, I know what he did was wrong. Hmm. And then they say, but you know what? Biden did it, too, or Clinton did it, too, or Obama did it, too, or Pelosi did it, too, or um, I'll I'll be comfortable with my leaders being held accountable when those folks over there hold their leaders accountable. 
Hmm. You know, that is a powerful argument. I bet you and I, I know I have, I am susceptible to at least an initial positive reaction to that argument, you know, because it's perfectly natural for human beings. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't like my coach, but you know, that other coach is a cheater and I'm not even going to call my coach out for what he did until they do something about their coach. That is a natural reaction. Hmm. I mean, it's a good reaction. I'm just saying it's a natural reaction and that's why it works to some extent. But as you say, Republicans, conservatives are supposed to be about, I mean, in theory, everybody should accept that if you only apply the rules to yourself, when you're confident that they will be applied to somebody else, then you don't really believe in, in rules, right? So the, although it sounds like a good argument to say, well, my President Trump, he's not, you know, he's not someone I voted for, but my President Trump may have done some bad things. But I don't think he should be held accountable for him because this is unfair. Those other people did similar things and mm. they didn't be held accountable. See, that's actually not a good argument because even if Joe Biden has done things like, for example, with his son's business uh, activities when he was vice president that are criminal or unethical or something, that may be. And what if he's never charged with it or never is held accountable to it? That is still not mean you should be against holding Trump accountable. You should be for the rule of law. If someone else doesn't stand for the rule of law, that doesn't justify you abandoning the rule of law. You're supposed to follow the rules even when other people don't. Correct. That's that's just that's what your grandmama told you. You learn that well, in everybody school. else in school, everybody else in class was yelling. Why can't I? Because you have to follow the rules, Algernon. You know, that's right. It doesn't matter if other kids don't follow the rules. It doesn't mean. For them to misbehave is not a justification for you to misbehave. And it seems like that that perspective or paradigm has shifted quite a bit. I mean, you, you heard me mention earlier, 91 different counts. I mean, many of some of these are federal charges, some are state charges, and you know, they're all over the board here. I mean, is there any kind of good ending to all this? And what what I mean by that is if Trump is convicted. I, I shudder to think what's the, what the reaction is going to be from his supporters and his base. If if he's not convicted, I I, I think you get an, a reaction from the other side and people yeah. will say, well, hey, the system's not fair. If, if I did yeah. these things, I'd be in jail or I, I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd be behind bars. I mean, is there any real good ending to all this? There are better and worse endings. Uh, it would be better if this if it had not gotten this far. It would be better if the former president was indicted and he wasn't running for president again. Obviously, it would be better if Trump had not done anything that could bring himself into criminal liability in the first place. But it is what it is. Uh, part of being a grown up is accepting reality the way it is, not as you wish it were. Mm. And this is where we are. And in my view, uh, here, let me put it, let me answer your question this way. I think it is likely that he will be found not guilty on some of these charges and he will be found guilty on at least the document, the, the classified document charges, and maybe the other, maybe some of the things related to the run up to January 6th. I'm not sure, but I'm very confident that he's going to be guilty because there really isn't a defense on the classified documents. You could say, well, other people like Joe Biden took home some classified documents. That's true. Mike Pence did. Other public officials in the past have inadvertently, when they were moving things out of their offices, 
it is, I'm sure it's actually really difficult to avoid having some class some documents marked classified end up in the wrong files, the wrong cabinets. They end up at a archive or university where you put your papers or maybe in your, in your garage. And if you discover them, what's your responsibility? Turn them in immediately. This is, appears to have been what Pence did. It appears to have been what Biden did. There might be some debate about how quickly that was turned over. But neither of those folks and none of the other people that I'm familiar with, you know, lower level secretaries of this and undersecretaries of that that have run afoul of this on occasion accidentally or inadvertently, none of them were prosecuted because they immediately fixed the problem. Hmm. The problem that Trump has is, you know, kept denying it. Then he said he had some, but he didn't have any more. Then they found out he had some more. So he gave them some more, but denied there were any more. There were still some more and kept insisting that he could, that he didn't violate the law because he could you know, he classified himself and then admitted he didn't really. So he has incriminated himself. Mm. Now he handled the dispute. I think most fair minded Democrats, Republicans and unaffiliated Americans would have given Trump a bit of a pass. If they knew, you know, he just sort of has a tendency to like keepsakes. And so they scooped everything up in the White House and they took it to Mar-a-Lago. And later his aides discovered that some of this wasn't supposed to be taken from the White House and they made an effort to take it, give it back. I mean, people might not have admired the behavior, but it wouldn't have been considered criminal. Mm. So that, I think that this is the easiest case. But imagine some of those other uh, uh, charges stick. Um, I think it is possible that we will have civil unrest. Mm. I frankly think it is unlikely that we'll have violent riots if Donald Trump is convicted of crimes that most fair-minded people would agree there was pretty good evidence for. Now, if it was, it was obviously trumped up, like the Alvin, the, the Bragg indictment in New York City having to do with the statement of his assets, that's such a big reach that if that's the one that gets him, people are going to be upset about it. I think, though, that I may be sort of being too hopeful here, but I think that as the, the trials unfold and evidence is presented and Trump attempts to defend himself, I actually think his credibility will be weakened. It will be further mm. weakened. There will be people who will always believe that he's a he's a victim of a conspiracy. I think that will be a much smaller number than 30% or 20% or whatever of the American public. I think it'll be a smaller number in the end. Will some of them act in dangerous ways? Perhaps, and we should be against that. And what if he's exonerated on everything for some reason? Uh, again, I don't think I believe that leads to violent protests. Um, but we'll just have to see. I'm, I'm worried about it. We should all be worried about it. I think it is particularly a problem that these cases are being adjudicated or will be tried right in the middle of a presidential mm. campaign. I think that if Donald Trump and the people around him had a shred of concern for the health of the country, he would not be running for president. Totally because agree. He would know and they would know. But this is deeply irresponsible. And you might say, well, I mean, that's a precedent that would allow future Bidens or other administrations to charge their potential adversaries and throw and drive them out of the race. I don't think so. This is a this is a I don't know if Trump is a unique individual. He's certainly a distinctive political actor in American history. Nothing else like this. Not even a Richard Nixon behaved this way in public the way Trump has behaved. And so I think that that would be the right, that would be the noble thing to do. If if you wanted to put America first, totally agree. that's what you would do. 
I, I totally agree. I, I, I think withdrawing would be the smartest and, and most helpful and healthy thing that he could do for the country. I, I don't think that that's what's going to happen, at least not the course that we're currently on. So th- this is going to be certainly an unprecedented political season that we're getting ready to go through, um, you know, while Trump also stands trial while he's actually running for president. Um, you know, shifting to the other front runner for president, Joe Biden, um, you know, now, you know, Republicans now call this the Biden crime family. Um, I, I don't know how true all that is, but that that's the, the name that's floating around out there. And just yesterday, um, Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced that there would be an impeachment inquiry in, into Joe into President Biden, um, actually going against um, his own words about the Trump impeachment inquiry and, and actually launching this on, on President Biden. Have we politicized the the impeachment process at this point or? Yes, of course we have. And I think that one, some have argued that this began with the Bill Clinton impeachment. You know, at the time, I thought it was appropriate to investigate a president uh, violating the law, you know, in, engaging in obstruction of justice and perjury, even if the underlying activity wasn't criminal. The attempt to cover it up by investigate by impeding duly authorized investigators was a crime, and we can't have presidents committing crimes. That's what I thought at the time. I still think that that's true, but I also agree that it was uh, it, it was a very divisive decision that people made. Obviously, he was not convicted, um, and I think that the first Trump impeachment there was an argument for it, but there was also an argument to let the voters decide. The second impeachment. It was right after an event. I think if Speaker Pelosi had handled that properly and not tried to do it while the president, you know, tried to hurry that process while the president was still in office and so forth, I think that that second impeachment should have been, the impeachment should have happened and he should have been convicted and forbidden from ever running for office again. And that would have been an appropriate remedy. That's that's what impeachment used to be for. People Hmm. think impeachment was just for uh, people who serve, who are currently in office to take them out of office. That is a potential use of it. But some of the most famous impeachment trials in in British history, which is where we get our tradition of impeachment, were of former officials, people who served like the governor of India. And he was later impeached. And the debate was, should we prohibit this person if he engaged in corrupt, corrupt activities in a former office? We should impeach him and convict him and therefore he cannot be appointed to a new office. That was the concept of it. Hmm. So I think that would have been great. Now, here we are with some legitimate concerns about Biden uh, to the extent the extent to which he understood what Hunter Biden's business was, that it was more or less selling access to Joe Biden, the vice president at the time. I think these are legitimate inquiries to have. I don't know why they have automatic, already made it into an impeachment inquiry. Because they could have just continued it as an oversight process and put out a report, and the voters could have decided, right? Because mm. Biden appears to be running for re-election. I said earlier that if Trump and the, those close to him really had their priorities straight, he would not be a candidate. I say the same thing about Joe Biden. If Biden and the people right. around him had their priorities straight, he would not be a candidate for president. Not only for the reasons we were just talking about, but the obvious fact is he is not up to the job. One hundred percent. It's just not. And there are many other Democrats in this country, as and there are many other Republicans in this country who are capable of articulating a case and serving in office of elected president. And why don't we go pick one of those people? 
Who's ready for movie night? Our friends at the Ginther Group Real Estate are proud to sponsor this season's Innovation and Cinema at Bailey Park in downtown Winston-Salem's Innovation Quarter. The original Mary Poppins on August 12th, Space Jam A New Legacy on September 15th, and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone on October 20th. Bring your chair or blanket to Bailey Park for a great night of cinema from Aperture, beverages from Incendiary Brewing, and food from a variety of local vendors. These magical movie nights are made possible by The Ginther Group, the real estate experts we trust and showcase right here on the Triad Podcast Network. Make sure to check their social media for detailed info on each movie night. And for your real estate needs, call 336-283-8689 or visit theginthergroup.com. Buying, selling, investing, or just learning. Whatever you need, start now. And like me, you can become a Ginther Group client for life. Yeah, and you know, I think the um, the troubling thing about Speaker McCarthy announcing the impeachment inquiry the way he did um, to me, and I'm you know I'm not in the Speaker's office, so I don't know exactly what's going on up in D.C. But to me, it seems like maybe the the ultra conservatives or the MAGA conservatives in the House are the ones that are demanding this. And, you know, it feels like to me that Speaker McCarthy is probably going down this road because he wants to save, you know, he wants to keep the speaker's gavel. Um, and so he feels like he sort of has to respond to them and and take President Biden through this process. If if all that is true, and that is the motivation for the impeachment inquiry, that that should be deeply troubling to a number of people in this country. I mean, in terms of just how political the the house has become and then just how political um the impeachment process has become i i certainly agree with that i think that um i wouldn't necessarily call the individuals that you mentioned ultra conservatives I, they are trump loyalists yeah uh, and populists but good good correction from my perspective they're to my left i mean <laughs> you know, they don't want to do anything about entitlement spending um, they, well, you, they you do know you're a rhino now. You're you're not even. A well, I'm not even a Republican. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought it was appropriate when I, you know, when I first moved back to North Carolina and started working in journalism in 1989, um, I didn't register in. Uh, I registered unaffiliated at that time because mm. I just I had this old fashioned notion that if I was going to be an opinion columnist and a reporter for newspapers and magazines, that I shouldn't be a partisan. I mean, I had my opinions and they can be obvious, but I shouldn't be belong to a specific political party. And I've stuck to that. But yes, I, I'm attacked. I mean, my point about the, the Trump loyalists is on many issues from foreign policy to federal spending to free markets, uh, they're to my left. So I I, I don't want to, I'm not going to call them ultra conservatives uh, because I'm not an ultra, ultra conservative. I'm just a conservative and they're to my left. I, I, I would agree with that. And I'm, I'm going to run out of time here, but I do want to shift um, a little closer to home here and what's happening here in North Carolina. Um, I, I myself and a lot of other people have been watching this incredibly long legislative session that we're still in the middle of. It looks like we get it wrapped up if they can get the budget approved. I, it looks like they're targeting that for next week at this point. But here, here's my question. Some of the issues that that are being debated and and actually some of the issues that are being led by Republicans in the state legislature, things like Medicaid expansion, um, um, uh, medical marijuana, um, uh, gambling. I mean, it it, to me, John, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it it almost sounds like the Democrats have the majority (laughs) in Raleigh. 
Well, I, I certainly agree with you on the Medicaid expansion idea, which I, I'm against. I've always been against. I understand the, the arguments for it. I, I don't, I'm not going to go to war about it necessarily, but I just disagree with them. Um, medical marijuana, I, I'm a, more uh, open to in, in the sense that um, I think that drug use is a serious problem in our society. And I just don't think that the use of a criminal justice process and police to, to go after marijuana is the right way to use our resources. So I, 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 I'm, I'm more sympathetic to that argument. The gambling one, I, I have mixed feelings about. Hmm. Again, I, I tend to believe in freedom. That's why I'm in the freedom conservatism movement, which you can look up at freedomconservatism.org. So I believe in freedom. Uh, I don't think the government should be encouraging people to gamble and making big money off of gambling. I think that that's a horrible idea. And so many of these proposals and put the government involved with gambling and saying specific locations can have casinos and other locations can't, which actually isn't very free enterprise to me. It's much more government meddling. So I'm not crazy about that. And I'm very I'm puzzled that it's become the sticking point in a state budget that has lots of other way more important things going on in it from uh funding the basic services of state government to continue our tax reform agenda to expanding parental choice and, and competition in education to providing pay raises for teachers and state employees who really actually need them. And we have mm. we have real vacancies in state government that we need to fill. And all of that needs to be done and to imperil any of that because the House won't pass the Senate's casino idea. I just think it is, I don't know that I would say this is what the Democrats would do if they were in charge, but I certainly don't think it looks like good government to me. Yeah. And, and you know, at a, I had Representative Zinger and uh, Mitch Koka from the John Locke Foundation on last week, and we were talking about this issue. And, you know, we're, we're debating this and, and we're cloaking it around the idea of job creation at a time where you know, North Carolina has been the best state to do business for the past three years straight. Um, you know, we, we have plenty of economic development happening um, in just about every community across North Carolina. I mean, from Asheville to Wilmington. Um, so I don't I, I just don't buy into the the whole this is going to create create jobs argument. It really feels like to me, uh, Senator Berger pro- probably made a trip north about 25 miles from his county and saw those full parking lots up in Virginia and thought, well, hey, I, I need to get this down to Rockingham County for, for my folks. I mean, it just feels a little bit more personal than than anything else. But um, I, I encouraged um, um, Representative Zinger and others that I talked to, you know, at, what we should really be debating right now is housing. Um, I mean, we've got Absolutely. so many people moving into the state and the price of housing is going crazy because we don't have enough supply. So yep. we, we should really be digging in on that issue and trying to figure out how we remove barriers that, that are going to allow us to, to create some more workforce housing. Um, I'm, I'm completely out of time, John. I mean, this is all, always a great, great, great conversation with you. I've been staring at that picture uh, on your wall there in your office. So I always got to give you an opportunity to, to make sure you plug the book. Well, I appreciate that. I, among other things, I write historical fantasy novels set in early America. Uh, the image behind me is the cover illustration of the first book, Mountain Folk. There's another book called Forest Folk that comes after that. Third book comes out next summer. I really enjoy uh, helping people remember or learn American history and throwing in a, you know, a sea monster and a dragon here or there. Why not? And where, where can people find out more about the book if they want to purchase it? The series it? is called The Folklore Cycle. And so if you just go to FolkloreCycle.com, you'll learn more than you'll ever want to know. 
And I encourage my audience to do that. I also encourage you to go learn more about John Hood. He is the president of the John William Pope Foundation. He is an op-ed writer, so he writes all the time, has really, really great pieces that come out. Um, you can catch some of those in the Carolina Journal, where I also write. Um, but you also, I think, John, you also write, your columns show up all over North Carolina and oh, different about, local uh, papers. 45 newspapers or so run my column, yeah. So I encourage you to learn more about John, read some of his thoughts. Um, make sure you also continue to stay locked in with me. Make sure you're listening to WTOB every Sunday morning because that's where the Locked In Show broadcasts. But if you happen to miss me there, hopefully you are subscribed to my podcast and you can download that on Spotify, Pandora, Apple, wherever you like to get your favorite podcasts, you can lock in there. And until next time, as always, stay locked in. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode on the Triad Podcast Network. Our mission is simple. Provide information, advice, and stories about the people and places that make the North Carolina Triad such a great place to be. You can find us by searching Triad Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much wherever you like to listen. If you like what you heard and want to support the show and those that contribute, we would truly appreciate a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. It helps spread the word along, as do your shares on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Triad Podcast. To get in touch with us, simply email info at triadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Triad Podcast Network.